And together here in this space, we're going to turn uh, to Philippians chapter 2. If you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to turn with me there. We're going to read the same passage we, we read last week, uh, but we're going to focus on uh, the second half. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. The words will also be on the screen uh, if you don't uh, have a Bible with you. Hear now the word of the Lord. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. This is God's word offered to us in its reading and in its hearing. Together we give thanks to Lord God Almighty. Would you bow with me for a moment of silent prayer? Lord, as we enter into this space and time, we are astounded that you have a word for us, that you speak to us and you desire to provide wisdom for us. So we ask, O oh Lord, that you would open our eyes that we would see, our ears that we would hear. Open our minds that we come to know and understand your word and your ultimate will. Open our hearts that we would feel the power of your word. And then in response, let our hands be open that we would offer grace to the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I have an insecurity that I need uh, to get off of my chest. Um, whenever I uh, was growing up, we moved a lot. And part of moving means that you're going to be exposed to, to many different school settings. Uh, I went to junior high in Wharton, Texas. If you, if you don't know where that is, it's halfway between Houston and Victoria. Uh, you might have noticed there's now a Bucky's there. Okay, if uh, whenever I grew up, there was not a Bucky's there, so it was harder to know if you were passing through Wharton. And there's a difference between a Wharton education and prior to high school, I moved to Missouri City. Sugarland, Missouri City, southwest side of Houston, Elkins High School. And suburban education and rural education was a little different. And, and there were some differences, particularly about pace. In Wharton ISD, you did diagramming of sentences and complex grammar in the ninth grade. In Fort Bend ISD, you did complex grammar and the diagramming of sentences in the eighth grade. And so I moved in between my eighth grade year and my ninth grade year. That means I never in my life diagrammed a sentence. Furthermore, I never was taught grammar to any particular extent. Now, that's not a surprise to many of you because you've heard me speak in public and you're thinking, yes, if that was composed in writing, that would be a problem. We would have run-on after run-on after run-on because Jason doesn't understand the basics of, of the written language. This is a fact. 
I know what a noun is and a verb is. And of course, because of conjunction, junction, what's your function? I know what a conjunction is. But I had to learn self-taught over the course of time what an adjective is. I think I could identify one. I don't know what an adverb is, a gerund is, and I don't know what a participle is, but I've heard that they could dangle. I don't understand. (laughs) And so so with that frame in mind, I enter into this morning's sermon with a little bit of timidness because the Lord has invited us, me, together to spend our entire time focused on one verse and really work on building the verse up piece by piece, point by point, to further understand and enhance what what God has for us. So with fear and trembling, I go into verse 13. If you have your Bibles, stick with me there. Uh, And and I want you to know that I'm not going to be using the direct translation that you see in the NIV, mostly because I think the NIV's ver- version lacks in its, uh, in, in, in its uh, interpretation of the Greek, particularly uh, that last word which says purpose in the NIV. It's better translated as pleasure, but let's begin at the beginning. God is working. That's the foundation of this verse. God is working. Now, we need to begin by identifying what I believe is the subject of this verse. God. That's hard for us to understand because we saw ourselves in this verse and all of a sudden we we thought that this was all about us. Now, we're there, but this is about God. It's about God's activity and God's uh, movement. And if we, would, if we would orient this verse aiming at this is about who God is and how God has his being in the world, then we could move forward so much more fluidly. God is working. You'll also notice this is a present tense statement. This is not past tense. It wasn't God worked. God did that thing in the Bible at one time and is done. It's not done. God is working now, today, actively present, and tomorrow will be working. God never stops working. Uh, we, we, We just sang that. We got it, right? How beautiful is that, that that this truth of Scripture we just proclaimed in song and experienced a humble proclamation as we shared our faith with the Lord. God is working. And then it continues. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull out much of what's contained in the middle, and we're going to just look at the, the, the beginning and the end. God is working for his good pleasure. For his good pleasure. Now, we we might initially hear that God is working for his pleasure, and we might be drawn back to to that medieval thought that that someone who is a serf or a servant would share with a king, uh, I work at the king's pleasure. I serve at the king's pleasure. Whatever the king wants, that's what the king gets. Uh, If the king tells me to go do this, I'm going to do that. And if the king tells me to do that, then I'm going to do exactly as he instructs. And and I believe that that, that we... uh, 
uh, create a false frame whenever we put it in that lens. It's not about the, the king's pleasure because in that sense, we don't know anything about the character of the king. Anything about the quality of what he's asking or directing to be done, all we know that it's at his pleasure. Well, we, we know something more because we know who God is and, and the, the, the pleasure is even further defined. So to begin with, it's his pleasure. It's not our pleasure. It's not your pleasure or my pleasure. And that's a good thing. It's a good thing because uh, we would mess it up. Or at least I would. Maybe you would. No, you would too. All right. We all would mess it up. If it was according to our pleasure, then, then we, would, we would consistently fall short of what it means to be faithful. And so this is orienting that God is working for his pleasure. And his pleasure is entirely good. And we, we see that over the course of the entirety of Scripture. From the beginning, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's very good. And all the way to the end, as God, God restores creation, and creation is new creation, and in Revelation, all things are restored, and it is yet again good. The entirety of Scripture is pointing to God's goodness and God's continued work for goodness in the world. And that should be reassuring to us that this activity that we, uh, that, that we see God doing is indeed for good. There is no question about it or no doubt about it. And I know that sometimes that's hard for us. We, we, we think about uh, politicians who, who serve and, and you wonder what pleasure they are serving. Is it their own or is it ours? Praise God, we, we, we live in a democracy so that uh, every time an election comes around, we get to uh, remind the politicians that it's at our pleasure that they serve, not at their pleasure, right? And to God be the glory that we can continue to pursue that, like step by step, stage by stage. What is it for us to know that, that God's pleasure is always good? It's not, a, it's not a susceptible to our error or to influence that could detract from because it is always persistently forever good. God is working. God is working for his good pleasure. God is working in you for his good pleasure. Now, breathe. For a moment, okay? Uh, I know some of us are having a, who, me? Yes, you, sort of a moment. Like we, we, have, we need to acknowledge this, that, that whenever we read scripture, we don't always want to put ourselves in the you statement because sometimes we feel inadequate, we feel unworthy, we feel incapable, and all of those things uh, uh, in our fallen and broken state are understandable, and yet God is speaking a word today, and he's saying, I am working in you for my good pleasure. Who, me? Yes, you. I'm reminded of uh, the movie, Harry Potter, Prisoner of Azkaban. 
Now, in the, in the nine o'clock service, uh, that reference drew about 30%. I know what you're talking about. Um, so I, just so I know where, where I'm starting and how far I have to go, uh, how many of you have seen the Harry Potter movie, movies, particularly Prisoner of Azkaban? Okay, so we're, we're, we're working like maybe 60%. Okay, here we go. So, love it. Uh, so, in Prisoner of Azkaban, you have uh, uh, two main characters, Harry Potter and Sirius Black. Sirius Black is Harry Potter's godfather. Okay, and, and Harry Potter is an escapee, but a, a righteous one who has done no wrong, and, and, and that relationship is forming. And you have the tormentor that is in this story, and yes, it's, it's Voldemort, uh, the, one sh- sh- the one who shall not be named. But, but there's also, in this particular uh, uh, movie, book, uh, an introduction to the Dementor. And the Dementor is one who, uh, who just... Um, epitomizes, personifies evil and darkness. And that darkness so powerfully, uh, so powerfully moves that it sucks life and light out of the world around it and the individuals that it encounters, and, and that can even lead to death because when there is no light, there is death. And so towards the end of the movie, uh, we have Harry Potter and Sirius Black being attacked by Dementors, and darkness is prevailing, and Harry attempts to use the power of the light that he has experienced in his life to repel the darkness, and it is failing, and they are dying, And then, out of nowhere, this light, this powerful and potent light, shines and dispels the darkness. Now, pause just a moment. I want you to know I have serious problems with Rowling here because I think her understanding of of time and the arc of time and the capacity to manipulate time is totally bogus. Uh, I think that, that we need to look more to marvel if we want to think about time loops and lapses, but that's another story. So time travel is possible in this Harry Potter universe, and what we see is that Harry and Hermione, his compadre and best friend, are in this same moment, and they are watching darkness prevail, and there is a lake in between them. And Harry looks upon this Dementor destroying the light of life from within him and Sirius Black. And he's telling Hermione, someone's coming. Trust me. Someone will come. And from that space, Hermione says, no one is coming. But you're here. And in that profound moment, Harry steps in and powerfully and beautifully brings light in the world and darkness is expelled. You see, Harry had a who me? Yes, you sort of a moment. God is working in you for his good pleasure. 
What would it be for us to, to adopt that, to, to lean into that, to feel, to feel such, such beauty and capacity uh, that, that we're no longer uh, inferior or incapable or unworthy, but now God is doing this thing through us. That should be a comfort for us because we know if it's up to our own strength, if it's up to our own power, nothing would be accomplished. But God is prepared, able, and is actively working in each and every one of his disciples. Let us be prepared to receive God's work in us. God is working. God is working for his good pleasure. God is working in us, in you, for his good pleasure. And then finally, and beautifully, God is working in you to both will and act or work for his good pleasure. God is working in you both to will and to to work, uh, to act for his good pleasure. And I think that this, this, this movement is, is something that if we don't walk through the journey of this verse, step by step, then we'll miss it. We'll miss the fact that, that it's not about our desire or our activity, but it's about God's desire and God's activity being embedded and imparted to us, that it, that it resides in us. God, God's desire to be our desire in in this beautiful uh, movement of Scripture that that concludes in verse 13, but it begins in chapter 1, verse 27, as we saw last week, as we tracked back the therefore, 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 until we got to 127, uh, we see this this understanding of, of uh, of who we are in relationship to God and what His desire looks like. But, but first, the, the, the flaw, the error uh, articulated for us. I mean, as, as disciples, I feel better in knowing that I'm in good company because I fall short and so do the disciples of the Bible, amen? Like they, they, they miss the mark repeatedly and so whenever I miss the mark, I understand that I'm in good company. Did you know, at the, at the Last Supper, on the very night in which Jesus was betrayed, on the night in which he instituted the sacrament of Holy Communion, uh, in Luke chapter 22, uh, we see uh, uh, the, the character, the disciple Peter, who's been rebuked by Jesus and has been uh, repositioned outside of the, the right hand favored on this rock, I will build my church, sort of Peter. And in that conversation, on the night Jesus was going to be betrayed, The disciples had a decisive argument. The argument was, which of us disciples, which of us is the greatest? I mean, how ridiculous is this? Jesus has washed their feet. Jesus has offered Holy Communion. My body, my blood for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And do you know what we do? Which of us is greatest? Me, of course. Jesus resolved this for us. Tell everybody here who's the greatest. Seriously? That's, that is what took place. Go read Luke 22. It's baffling. 
And yet in that space, we see our desires on our own, on display. That if we're left up to our own devices, it's all about self. It's all about me. It's all about building myself into an idol, setting myself up against God. And, and, what, and what we see at work here is that God is working in us to, to impart new desire. He's working to, to shape and form our desire after his own desire so that his good pleasure, goodness in the world can be fulfilled. Man, maybe that's supposed to be our prayer. So often, whenever we sin, we say, Lord, forgive me, or Lord, Lord, I, 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 need, to, uh, I, I need to find strength to, to not sin. But maybe our, the frame of our prayer needs to be, Lord, give me your heart. Give me your desire. Chapter 2, verse 5 frames it in this way. It says that, that, that we are to have the same mindset as Christ Jesus when we're in relationship to one another. That is to be our desire. That our desire would be as Jesus' desire. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing apart from. That is the road that we are to walk. That our mindset, our desire would be the same as Jesus's. God is working in you to both will and to act for his good pleasure. To act that our work our activity would be glorifying to God. That it wouldn't be about our own strength or capacity to act, but God would be giving us that work. I want us to, to, to look at how uh, Paul frames this up, uh, leading up to verse 13. He, he gives a picture of, of how Jesus acted. If we want to have the desire of Jesus, we also want to have the activity of Jesus. And if we want to have the acti activity of Jesus, Paul describes it for us in chapter 2, verse 8. It says, even though Jesus was fully God, he was also fully man. And as he was a man, he humbled himself and became obedient even to the point of death, death fallen cross. Jesus humbled himself. His activity was an activity of humbleness. The way in which he worked and had his being in the world was, was as one who was humble. And, and it frames it up even more clearly above in, in verse 3. In verse 3, it, it says what this humility looks like. Don't do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility, here's how that, that, that frames up. In humility, value others above yourself. Your desire is the mindset of Christ, and your work and your activity in the world is to put others above yourself. This is good news. This is the gospel on which we stand, that God is working in us, that, that that our, our intention and our activity in the world would be all for his good pleasure. And so we might be, be sitting here perplexed and we hear this verse and we understand what it's directing us to do and we might be left with the question, how? That's a fair question. 
How is God working in us to accomplish this great feat for his pleasure? As so much of this passage does, it orients back to the very beginning where we turned our attention last week as well into chapter 1, verse 27. If you have your Bibles, let's turn there. Chapter 1, verse 27. How is God working in us to shape our intention and our, 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 our intention and our activity in the world? Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, here it is. I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Whenever, uh, whenever God's good pleasure is being enacted through us in the world, it is, uh, it is um, evidence that the spirit of God is at work in us, that when the Holy Spirit comes and dwells and has its being in us, then our hearts are shaped and formed after Jesus' own heart and the world will be changed for it. And you and I, brothers and sisters, when we, when we profess our faith in Jesus Christ, we are blessed with this Holy Spirit. We receive this Holy Spirit and it is at work in us. It's not a past tense thing, and it's not only a future tense thing. It is here and now today. And when the Spirit is in us, our eyes are open to the kingdom of God that is here and now. Not just one awaiting for us in heaven, but it's all around us today. And we are called to participate in that actively, to, to work with God in the world, humbling ourselves to serve our neighbors in Christ's name. What a beautiful invitation this is to submit and receive the working of the Holy Spirit in us. God is working in you both to will and to act according to his good pleasure. May that fruit be amongst us this day and forevermore. Would you pray with me? Gracious and loving God, we call upon your name and invite the gift of the Holy Spirit to dwell amongst us. I pray, O oh Lord, that you would meet with us now in this space and time and reassure us of your power and of your presence in our midst. Lord, that we, that we do not go about this work of ministry alone, but we have sisters and brothers that gather with us. We don't go about this work of ministry alone, but we go with power and might from your Holy Spirit. So we ask, God, that your good, good pleasure would be fulfilled in us and amongst us in the mighty powerful and precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.